0: You're listening to The Outpost. Welcome, everybody, to the first edition, the inaugural edition of the Outpost podcast. I'm Dr. Ray Mitch, your host, and uh, here we are, season one, episode one, which is mildly depressing in some respects. I just finished up 142 episodes of the psych monologues, and all good things or all mediocre things have to come to an end. And uh, so here we are starting up a new podcast called The Outpost. And uh, what I want you all to understand is kind of the big picture as we get started here about what this is about and what we're trying to accomplish and and those kinds of things. The Outpost is a podcast that, that is just like its predecessor, the predecessor was the psych monologues, and I think in in that last episode that I did, introducing where we were going, what we were doing uh, was that we're going to be going from a monologue. That's me basically um, pontificating about a variety of topics that I think were relevant to life and living and spiritual journey and all the things really that are also a part of the outpost but also um moving to more of a dialogue now again think you've got to think with me a little bit about the the metaphor here okay because uh, outpost is literally on the margin of where civilization is it is not in the center of it it's out on the edges and it's a place where people oftentimes will flee to find some measure of safety and sanctuary from all the the hazards and hostility even in the larger uh, civilization or culture they were in, so um, in a lot of cases outposts were places of safety and and they were a place to to grow and to restock and to re um, uh, reengage and even even on a more fundamental level is to renew so that's exactly what, what I have in mind when I've cast this vision for the outpost. And it is part of a bigger vision of a, of a organization that we, I founded a couple of about a year and a half ago called Stained Glass International and Stained Glass International. Its vision was to equip, encourage and empower the next generation to live authentically in relationship to Jesus themselves and others. And what we're trying to do to accomplish that end is to create what I call Outposts for the Heart and Communities for the Soul. And that's the linkage because the Outpost podcast is a voice for that. It is the place where dialogue and other um, information is gained and provided for people that are trying to, if you will, escape the hostility of the world outside of them. And that's really what our groups are about. They're about creating safe places that people can um, uh, connect with one another that are trying to do life differently, even though they probably will walk out and do it exactly the same. They walk back in and recalibrate and and renew and perhaps get additional challenge and information and encouragement to be able to to move forward so um, the outpost really was meant to create a space where doubters wounded confused beat up and beat down the bent and bruised who feel their lives are a disappointment to God can feel accepted enough to be known and no others. And the other part of that is that we what we want to create is a place where they can meet the biblical Jesus, not the one that they've been told about or the one that they see portrayed by the topic I want to talk about tonight. Because church people have a way of portraying the Jesus that is not the same as the one we find in scripture. And so I'm not I'm not going to be Pushing a lot of stuff at people from a uh, you know from the Bible. I'm not jamming anything down people's throat, but I am going to create this context, hopefully, that we can have a, a constructive, non-defensive dialogue about this very thing. Because in a lot of cases, the people that I have bumped into, and the, and particularly the young people I've bumped into, they church people and how they react toward them the the idiotic things oftentimes they will say to them is is their picture of who Jesus is which is really 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 unfortunate because in a lot of cases modern day church people are and I'm not either so I'm not I'm not I'm living in a glass house here so I ain't throwing any stones but we're not Jesus but we better know her him her we better know him well enough to be able to portray him well in our relationships not just espouse the truths about him or have the right beliefs about him but ha- be actively engaged in cultivating the kind of hearts that go in sync with him and when we become in sync with him in our relationship, then our relationships with ourselves and other people are inevitably going to change because that's the influence and that's the impact of the rabbi from Nazareth. And, and that's, what, that's what I want to portray. I want to add the breath of life, the breath of humanity into the stories in Scripture, which have a lot to tell us about how to do life, how to relate to other people. And, and quite honestly, I think when I say heroes of the Bible, a lot of people think of you know, Noah and David and um, uh, Solomon and Paul and Peter— And quite honestly, I think, just my opinion, for what it's worth, I think that some of the heroes of the Bible are the ones that are the broken people of the Bible. People like the woman that had the hemorrhage that Jesus healed. Or Mary Magdalene. Or the man who was paralyzed. Or the demon-possessed man. Those I would suggest to you, are closer to who we are than the people that we tend to elevate and create an image of that didn't exist in real life. And we've got to be able to look at those clearly in terms of what that actually means. So, one of the ministries of SGI is sponsoring and leading silent retreats for young people. And all a silent retreat does is it creates a space for people to spend time with God and themselves. And sometimes it's more one than another in a lot of cases. The uniqueness of our silent retreats, and I'll tell you a little bit at the end as to where if you're interested and you want to sign up for one, you can. Um, the, 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 the fascinating thing about it is is when we start turning off all the noise, the social media, the phones the scrolling through, you know, the, the kind of zombie-like state people get into when they're, when they're scrolling through their phones or any number of things related to electronic devices. When we turn those things off, and we kind of unplug, if you will, from life for a season of time, a relatively short season of time, because our, our retreats don't last that long. We start on a Thursday night, and we end on Sunday after lunch. That's not that long. What's absolutely stunning is in the right context, not just, oh, I can go up to the cabin in the mountains, and I can have my own silent retreat. Yeah, maybe, maybe. But the thing that I think is unique about ours is that every evening the group of young people that that, uh, myself and a friend of mine lead discuss, talk about what they have heard, what they have seen, what their frustrations are, what kind of baggage are they realizing that they brought in to the silent retreat. And that that has a way not only of being incredibly disconcerting, but it is also has a way of reorienting us to not only our relationship with us, with ourselves and with others, but clearly our relationship with God. And maybe we begin to realize that there's something there we better start paying attention to. And so the journey is the journey and your journey is your own and, not every when i say this everybody's everybody's listening to me which is probably not that many because it's the first episode but the minute i say this everybody's going oh yeah yeah that, you're you're right you're absolutely right and that is no one's journey is the same the irony is is we compare our journeys assuming that whatever somebody else does is better than what we're doing and and then a lot of times what ends up happening is people just end up abandoning the journey. And they abandon Jesus because they think that the relationship with Jesus is built on them getting, getting cleaned up and getting fixed, whatever that means. And so a silent retreat is a time to focus, to recalibrate, to... Um, to engage in a different kind of community than you probably have ever been in before, and in a context that isn't just you got in the outdoors it's it's in a context of community because i you know i I like the outdoors I love going to a hug cabin far away, and no phones, no nothing It's great, and I haven't done it enough to be real honest but There's something about saying what's going on in our hearts to other people that are also committed to being safe enough to carry that information for us, and suddenly we begin owning what is there. Because, see, the thing that that I, I don't want you to miss is that the minute I say something is the minute I own something. And if I don't take the time to uh, reflect or explore the landscape of my own heart, then I end up talking to other people about past events, not current landscape. And with that, then I start to say, oh, yeah, I I really do have this area in my life that is cordoned off that is walled off, uh, that is condemned. And I, I don't even want to look at it. And I'm sure that if anybody else looks at it, they'll make the same conclusion I've made about it as well. So, I So I say all of that just to say, <laughs> buyer beware, because you start moving in this direction then the journey is not, not one of I'm trying to get answers. The journey is one of a journey into trust. And we're not, we're not real good at trust. We really aren't when it really comes right down to it. And I might add that we have lots and lots of evidence to point out that we, that we, don't, we, we have good reason not to trust people. The problem is is that the only other alternative for us is to control everything, and this is something that I say, and I, I I have said it many times, and anybody that's been in my classes or heard me speak they they probably can guess where I'm heading with this. but the thing that I always say is control and trust cannot coexist. If I don't trust you, the only thing left for me is to control how you see me, how you think about me, and the conclusions you make about me. That, that there's no there's no other alternative really. And we may say, "Well, I'm not a controller. I'm not one of those people." But see, we we have a we have quite the repertoire of how we control people, right? What we show them, what we don't show them, the truth we say and the truth we don't say. See, all of those things are really manipulating and controlling the conclusions somebody else makes. And why are we so afraid of it? Part of it is because we've already made the conclusions and, and we don't want them to make the conclusions we have. And so you know we 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 want them to make the right ones even though we don't agree with them anyway i mean it really if it really came right down to it somebody said to you you know i i i accept you the way you are not not the way you should be because you're never going to be who you should be so let's let's kind of walk this journey together and we'll say well that's nice that's nice um but I, i'm not so sure that you really mean what you say and if you knew me the way I know me, you wouldn't like me so i'm not i'm really not going to run that risk at all so that's more of a big picture than maybe some people are asking for. I just want to help everybody kind of get on the same page and have an idea what what it is we're trying to accomplish here. The big picture of SGI online is to build an online community that then can be branched out into uh, online groups initially, uh, groups of people that gather throughout the week, talk about life as it is, the challenges they face, the things that they're dealing with with one another, not to look for an answer, but to look for connection around that. And and that's that, that, that takes some effort to accomplish that because we would rather fix a problem than connect with a person and and this is the emphasis of outposts for the heart is is this is about opening our hearts to one another it's not about fixing problems now i, I i'll be the first to say that when i open my heart to somebody the chances of helping me begin to move in a direction that that makes changes is far greater than if i keep my heart closed right so there's there's all of that and there's a lot to this here i'd like to see eventually in time us move from online groups to in-person groups and have them scattered everywhere, wherever they may be. That also means the bigger picture of SGI is to uh, develop, and there's material in, in, uh, in the, the waiting uh, to, for developing our leaders to lead those groups. It is not going to be just this random person that we just dump in there and say, lead the group. We, we want people that understand what it means to cultivate the kind of community that will accomplish these things. And so there will be training for people that are a part of these groups, particularly the ones that are leading. And they're not really, in my mind, they're not leading, they're facilitating. Their job there is to encourage a, con, a connection of people in, in that kind of small community to be able to live life together. And again, if it is supporting one person who's going to counseling or if it's supporting another person to break an addiction or and, and they're using other resources to break that addiction, not just the group, because the group is not meant for that, then we've got we. That's exactly how we should be, right? <clears throat> and I would go so far as to say that we're probably this is kind of a step um, back to the future, if you will, because early, the early church. That's exactly what early churches were. Was they were they were groups of people that wanted to hang on to the things they knew about Jesus, and and God, and they would share those things with one another and how hard their lives were and a lot of times their their hard part of life is it wasn't even comparable to, to the kind of life we have and and they would encourage one another and obviously they pray for one another if that was appropriate i would assume and and Check in on one another and all of that stuff. That's the life of community, and and that's what we're we're trying to build with SGI uh, online. Like I said, initially online, and and to have it branch out into in-person groups in a variety of places. So that's that's kind of the the picture. Okay, and we'll I I, I have some end of program. Uh, things just to remind you about, uh, but um let me get into this that I want to spend a little time talking about i'm i 'm slowly but surely running out of time, but one big question that I have for you and and the question may not have occurred to you instead, it would have been, why do I always have to interact with these kind of people rather than why are there toxic Christians? <laughs> that's the question. And and that's that's the thing that I think sometimes we we lose sight of because toxic christians end up being the kind of people that are lightning rods for distorted ways of our understanding about Jesus and God. Really? When it comes right down to it, ironically, it's not the people that are accepting and loving and grace offering and supportive. They're not. It's the people that are toxic. And so when I say, why are there toxic Christians? I, you know, I, I, mean, I don't think this is really a very relevant question. Really, when it comes right down to it, it doesn't really matter why. Now we can we can really grind our gears on that one to say well why and this is the causes and so on and so forth. But if you were able to figure that out, what would come of it other than, you know, our own sense of sanctimony that at least I'm not one of those. And that's why I say I'm not sure it's a very relevant question. I've had this happen so many times in counseling and people look at me and say so why am i like this and it's like while while that sounds like a very relevant avenue to run down it's a fairly irrelevant one because even if i could get an answer that really doesn't help me with how i do life now i mean I, the why i, I What does it equip me to blame somebody else or does it equip me to um, describe the situation that much more accurately as to the why of how we got here? But see, I'm still stuck, right, with having to deal with what is not not what should be, because a lot of times whys lead us there. Right. That's what that's what it should have been. And I'm here. So what do I do with that? And so. The, the, the funny thing about it is I would ask, why are we asking why? And I think there's a reason for that. And one of them is it goes back to something I said a minute ago, and that is control and trust cannot coexist. If I can explain something, then I can predict it. And if I can predict it, then I can, then I can control the outcome of it, Right. And so if I have an explanation that helps me to predict how this person is going to behave, whomever it is, and again, we'll get into kind of qualities of these folks. Hopefully that'll help you get some thinking on that. But if I can predict how that's going to go, then I I can limit my exposure to these people. I can... I, I can probably influence them to not go there. Like I won't say stuff. See, this is and this is where countering somebody else's control by controlling back happens. Is see, I if I don't give you information, then you can't say what what maybe you are have already said. And I, quite honestly, I have had this happen many times because people think that if they tell me something that I'm going to react in a particular way, they do not want that reaction, so they're not going to tell me as a therapist or as a counselor. And, you know, the funny thing about it is they still probably already betrayed what that really was all about. So, ultimately, that whole picture of control by me on the other person to counter their attempt to control me is toxic for both of us. Now we've got two people, you know, literally poisoned here. So two questions arise. One is what makes somebody toxic? Okay. And the second one is, is what do I do with toxic Christians? And, I, you know, ultimately, I I will say that the primary audience for this podcast are people who have been hurt and beat up and beat down by Christians and have ultimately taken that um, that impact and globalized it to the entire church, which is understandable. You know, people, somebody's gotten abused in a family, what do they do? They globalize it to, well, I don't want to be in any family. I don't I don't want to be in relation to anyone at all. So, those of us who have committed ourselves to not do that, to act toxically, are dumped into the same basket as those who are responsible for such behavior. And so... What do I do with these people? I, I, how do I deal with them, if you will? And I think ultimately we have to look at that which we have um, come to say or some measure of control when it comes to toxic people in our lives, whether they're Christians or atheists or business people or teachers or doctors, whoever they are. And in a lot of cases... Toxic people are not inherently toxic. They are toxic in that situation. And one of the things that that comes up, I think, when we're talking about this whole thing is, what makes someone toxic? And we answer, how they make me feel. Okay? So somebody sticks their foot in their mouth and makes a, a, a really dumb statement. Now, when I say that, that doesn't mean that they're not pointing out scripture for what I need to consider or anything like that. But they end up saying something and I feel something and then that results in them being toxic now that you might think now wait a minute this slowly but surely sounds a little bit like you're blaming me for them being toxic no I'm not but they make you feel that way or they touch a raw spot in you that you're probably already feeling and fearing that you are that way. And now you have some very powerful confirmation from somebody that probably doesn't even know you very well. And and you're feeling exposed and vulnerable and, and, and left all in the open. Right? That's another way of saying exposed, I suppose. So... a characteristic of toxic people is that they are committed to critique rather than connection and they evaluate a situation or your situation and they they take it upon themselves to either like i said spout scripture to you it doesn't make it untrue but it is extraordinarily ill-timed entirely. And see, the thing to keep in mind here is a truth that is ill-timed feels like somebody is is has got a knife. It's a weapon. Do they know it? Probably not. Nobody is more dangerous in the entire universe than a novice using a weapon. And so... They, they are, they are well intentioned. I'm, I'm not going to say that they aren't. They want to help. They want to say something that will be encouraging. The problem is, is that they have not invested enough in the connection with you to be able to re real, realize. They're not able to realize what is fitting for you rather than this is fitting for everyone. And one of the things that I talk about a lot in my classes is, is the idea that there are actually, and, and this is a convenient split, so don't, don't quote me as I'm saying you know, that, that big T truth is bad and little t truth is good, all right? But that's the split. Big T truth is what God says and what God's word tells us and is is induced or inferred from God's word or it is taken from God's word directly great it's fine it's big T truth now the other part of big T truth is literally reality well that's not really how things are what is what they might say right and, and it's like part of us, and I've been in these, these shoes and I've had people say this. It's like, well, I don't give a rat's patoot how it, how it really is. All I know is, it, you know, it's just a heap of, and a pile of crap that I don't want to be a part of. That's all. And they're not, they're unconcerned about that part of it. They're only concerned about providing uh, information like that, and saying that information should make a difference to you, and therefore you can shape up, you can be encouraged, you can get things underway and do things differently. And there's a phrase I often say, hope springs eternal in the minds of idiots and fools. And I don't know which which category they're in. There may be a well-meaning one of those, idiot or a fool. Because they're they're well-meaning, but it doesn't fit the needs that I have at the time. Probably one of the most profound um, characteristics that Jesus portrayed is he knew how to respond to people according to their need rather than according to what he needed to say. Could he have? Of course. He knew everything about them. He interacted with them completely. I, I mean, let me let me go back. And, and in the psych monologues, I, did, I was starting to do a series. I'll probably pick it up here as well, of the broken people of the Bible. And I talk a little bit about the woman who has the flow of blood or hemorrhage. Now, if we take that and we say, Jesus is God incarnate. He's God embodied. He knows all of these things. And when somebody uh, creeps up in in the, a crowd of people that are pressing in on him, and what does he say? Someone has touched me. Who's touched me? <laughs> and Peter is scratching his head going, I have no idea what you're talking about. Do you see all the people here? And when she is revealed, Jesus says to her, daughter, he he reinstitutes her into a family, daughter. What what do you desire? And, and you have been healed. Your faith has healed you. It is well-suited. He does not say, well, I know you have this hemorrhage of blood. I know that by touching me, it's all gone now. and <clears throat> And go on your way. But, what does he do? is he points to not her brokenness but points to her desperate faith that that in a sense treated Jesus like an object it's like i'm gonna i'm gonna rub this genie and i'm gonna get what I want rather than I don't want to have any relationship with him and how often that's like us It's like just give me the solution, and i don't I don't really want i don't need the other kind of accoutrements of relationship with you, Jesus. And so they they make us feel a particular way, and oftentimes they will prompt us to think a particular way, which leads into a much longer discussion, which I will probably pick up some other time, about shame. Because we have already made shame-filled conclusions about who we are, not, yeah, about who we are. I'm just going to stop there. Because it's not about our behavior. It's about the very essence of who we are. And, and so in a lot of cases, toxic people unwittingly touch or kind of, you know, it's a little bit like um, getting a, a blood draw, Okay. And not, not a blood draw from the veins in your arm, but, but, um, you know, if you've ever done it before is you, you stick your finger and you put it on a, uh, what do they call those slides? You know, come, it'll come to me eventually, um, slides, and then look at it under the microscope. Right. And it's, it's a prick. It's a prick of, of, of our finger and the blood comes out and everything like that. Right. That's exactly what what they tend to say and it touches that same kind of place in us. And we have done, we have worked overtime to make that out of reach to everyone. And this one person with the things that they say touches it. And we howl. Rightfully so. There's good reason for that. But that's part of what Toxic people do. The issue isn't so much who they are as much as it is how inappropriate their comments are according to our need. And if you want to be a person who portrays Jesus to other people, then you best figure out how do I connect with people where they are, not where they should be, and connect with them enough so that I can simply walk with them rather than constantly offering solutions. Because that's, con- that's the other aspect of toxic people. They give us a solution. To, they tend to give us a very simple solution for a very complex problem. Very complex problem. And they, they, they reduce it down. And then when they do, what do we end up feeling? And we feel like... We're failures, we can't do anything right. What's wrong with us how how have I gotten to this place? i am i you know I'm washed up i I shouldn't even bother anymore see that's that's the remarkable tape that runs incredibly powerful I might add. And then the other part that I want to mention that, that they tend to do as a result of some of this stuff is how they influence the conclusions I make about myself, which I've already said a little bit about, is toxic people, toxic Christians in particular, tend to be so wed to thinking right, they know very little about affirming the, the importance of our hearts I, and quite honestly, I just, I just heard this today. I was in church. I was listening to a sermon, and I wrote in my notes. It's like we're trying to solve a solution in our hearts that is, is built on the, the uh, feeling-based conclusions we have made, and we're trying to solve it with more beliefs and reason. But we didn't get there by reason. If we can't figure out how to get there and meet people on the basis of the conclusions they have made, and usually they are not reasonable. Now, I'm not saying they are not reasonable, but a lot of times their conclusions are not. And and immediately, if I see that that conclusion is unreasonable, it is not incumbent on me to change that. It is incumbent incumbent on, blah, incumbent on me, to say, I get it, I get it. I, I I've made conclusions like that too, and see, that's the one thing I I don't want you to miss is there are always going to be toxic people in our lives because they seem to be so skilled at touching the, the places where I feel uh, the ways that I think and the conclusions that I make there they are and we refer to them as being toxic what i have to, what i think we have to veer away from is it's not so much that as much as it is the internal landscape of our own hearts and what's going on there. Because modern-day Christianity, modern-day evangelical Christianity seems to overemphasize. I didn't say... um, Yeah, I'll just leave it with that. It seems to overemphasize right-thinking, orthodoxy, and right practice, it's called orthopraxy, but it underemphasizes orthocardia. Right heart. And in a lot of cases, the very thing and the very arena in which all of these things that we struggle with occur is in the heart. But they we tend to kind of slap on these beliefs and right thinking. And, and think that that's going to make a change. And, and bottom line, folks, is unless I go and wander the landscape of my own heart and begin the process of accepting what is, not what should be, then change will happen. It won't happen because I put the, just the right behavior modification program in place for me to change all of my behavior. It will. I, I, I can guarantee you that. It will for a time. But then it unravels because it's literally building a house on sand, and that sand is shame if we don't do something about it. And that shame is what toxifies our, the very nature of our hearts and what's going on there. And so th- there's, there's so many um, off-ramps, uh, in this topic, and I, I knew as I was going to get into it, that I, was, I could easily spend a lot more time talking about it. But I don't want to overstay my welcome with this first episode. There are other episodes to come, and I, I may follow on, or I may refer back to it in, in terms of some of the other stuff that, I, that I'm that i probably going to talk about, too. So, now, let me, let me shift gears. I, that's all I have for tonight. I, a couple end of program reminders. Remember... SGI-net.org is your digital home for Stained Glass International and all the resources that we have there. Um, Because this is the first episode, it's not going to start showing up on on iTunes and therefore any other places that you normally get your podcast. It's not probably going to show up there for a while. So I would encourage you to... Uh, visit sgi-net.org sign up to to be informed of what's going on there and if you're so inclined to support the things that we're doing and and there's membership opportunities there that are as little as two dollars a month that's less than a latte and it would be ever so helpful for us because it is, it's not cheap to run this kind of platform. It is not cheap to have all the necessary people involved to, to do it well and with excellence. And so I would encourage you to consider some of the membership levels that are there and you can you can click on members and go and take a look at it um because that would be it doesn't matter how big it really really doesn't um if you're a student you get free access to all the resources that are that are coming online uh you know uh, in the uh, in the platform but you can See this podcast and see the video podcast online at sgi-net.org and click on resources, go down to free, and you'll see the podcast and you will see some of the other resources that slowly but surely will show up. And those are completely free. You can explore it, see what you find. If you're interested in the silent retreats, you'd go to sgi-net.org and forward slash events and you can read about what the what the retreats look like there. The other thing you will find in in the resources is if you're interested in um, supporting what we do and benefiting by a digital devotional, you will get it every week. It's about healthy relationships or setting new boundaries and and they run in 3, so every third one is about either what what do I need to know about you know, dysfunctional relationships. How can I fix it is the next one. And then how do I maintain the changes I'm trying to make? And you will get that every week for a modest cost. Again, the cost is, is entirely devoted to supporting SGI and all that we're trying to accomplish here and building this community and building these communities, these outposts all over the place with people that can meet and do life together. So, um you can follow us on uh the the three social media outlets that we're on, Instagram, uh <clears throat> just type in uh, SG International and you'll find us there. At Facebook, right now it's still housed in mine, so it's ray.mitch. And LinkedIn is still DR Mitch. So those three social media outlets is where you can find us. Again, Subscribe as you see us show up in uh, all the the necessary places, right? That you might consume uh, podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, Amazon. <coughs> excuse me, Amazon Music, iHeartRadio, any of those places. Okay, if you're interested in partnering with us to continue to grow um, SGI and the scholarship fund for uh, people to be involved in the silent retreats. Um, You can do that under the donate button and choose how much you want to give us and help us get a monthly subscription or a monthly donation is immensely helpful in helping us to kind of put all this thing together and get it away from the dock without sinking and all the, all the things that are related to it. So check the website out, <clears throat> see what's there, and uh, see if there's value there. And if there is, then a couple bucks a month or five bucks a month. Might, might be in your budget to make happen to support something like this. If you'd rather send us a physical check, you certainly can do that. If you'd send it to SGI, and the address is um, SGI PO Box 322, East Lake, Colorado 80614. Well, that's enough. Uh, That's all for tonight. Again, thanks for joining me at the Outpost. I'm still getting used to saying that. Uh, So thanks for joining me at the Outpost. And I will see you next time. I will be here waiting for you uh, for more conversation and more uh, reaction and thoughts to help you on your journey. And as always, I'm going to sign off like I've always done before. Love you later. Bye.